It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to another week of the PowerMizzou.com podcast. Gabe DeArmond and Mitchell Forty here. Missouri 1-0 after a 51-14 win over Tennessee Martin. Faces Wyoming, weather permitting, on Saturday evening at 6 o'clock. We are going to talk plenty about that one. But first, Mizzou fans, once again, make your mark on the world while the Tigers do it on the field. How, through the new underwear company, Mark Skid, the sponsor of the PowerMizzou.com podcast, founded by a fellow Mizzou fan. With a call to action of make your mark on the world, Mark Skid believes all brands, not just underwear, should have the same qualities as the people you admire in life. A sense of humor, a strong character, and a purposeful existence. Mark Skid underwear is made with the world and you in mind. Made with the finest cotton in the world, organic Pima cotton, and one upcycled water bottle in each waistband, you make your mark on the world by a $4 donation that is made with your purchase of every pair of underwear from Mark Skid. You choose to save, feed, or cure the world through any of the nine four-star charity partners. One pair of underwear can plant four trees, feed a child in the developing world for 12 days, or deliver $80 of life-saving medical equipment. What is your underwear doing? Use the checkout code POWERMIZU for 15% off your first order at Mark Skid's website, and that is POWERMIZU, all one word, all lowercase. Mitchell, I uh, I was in need of a new pair of underwear, so I ordered a pair. I have not yet, like, given them a test run, but I'm sure you will want an in-depth report when I do. Absolutely, yeah. As soon as you get those, we're going to need, uh, need a, a whole segment on the podcast about your Mark Skid experience. Okay. Next week's podcast will be a breakdown of my underwear experience. For now, we bring in Brandon Foster from the Casper Star Tribune. He covers the Wyoming Cowboys, Wyoming and Mizzou, a 6 p.m. kickoff. On ESPNU, maybe a 6 p.m. kickoff, maybe just 6 p.m. sitting in the rain for a couple hours before they cancel the game. We will see. Uh, But, Brandon, uh, thanks for taking some time. I assume you, at least for now, have a trip to Columbia planned. (laughs) That's the plan. Yeah, we'll we'll see uh, what ends up happening Saturday night, but I'll be there either way. (laughs) The the first bit of, I I guess, pressing news as far as this one goes, uh, Nico Evans leads the country in rushing. didn't even play the entire game against uh, Washington State and still is the number one rusher in the country. And mm-hmm. do we know yet if he is playing on Saturday night? Uh, not yet. It's a day-to-day thing. Uh, Craig Bull said it might be a thing where, you know, it, it goes right up until kickoff. Um, but, yeah, that's definitely a really important, you know, component to this game because he's really added something, something to that rush game uh, in in the last two games that they really haven't had since uh, 2016 when, when uh, Brian Hill, who's uh, from the East St. Louis area, was, was you know running for them. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on. Brandon, I know the last time we talked to you, the big question was uh, who would replace Josh Allen at quarterback, and the answer has been uh, freshman Tyler Vanderwall. He hasn't exactly uh, lit the world on fire in the first two games, at least according to his stats. What's kind of been uh, your assessment of, of his performance so far and how he might fare against Missouri? Yeah, the uh, the first game at, at New Mexico State, he did pretty much everything that you know they really could have asked of him. Uh, they just didn't ask a whole lot. He was pretty conservative. Um, you know, they did a lot of sort of bootlegs to get him out of the pocket, and he seemed really comfortable with throwing on the run, which is what we had heard. Uh, you know, sort of the scouting report on him. 
but you know it was it was conservative again against Washington State, and that kind of ended up not not being enough in that game, especially when Evans went down and their run game just you know kind of took took a uh, fall. So you know he's he uh, looked a little bit like a freshman, I think, in, in that first you know game against a big time opponent uh, in the Cougars, and um, you know he's he's gonna probably be asked to do a little bit more in this game or especially if uh, Nico isn't available um, you know he he's really hasn't been asked to do too much so far and you know the fans have really been getting frustrated with that and so it's still a little bit of a question of if you know whether he's able to handle more or uh, you know and they're just playing it safe with him or if he's just maybe not ready for some of the more complex stuff in the playbook I mean when it's you know operating at its fullest it's a pretty complex pro style offense that they try to implement here so it's a little bit understandable that they're not doing everything uh but it has been pretty limited so far and um you know he he uh was inaccurate in a little uh in areas uh against washington state that we didn't see in the first game even you know some of the shorter routes stuff like that that should have been easy and and looked easy in the first game uh so that might have been some of the nerves of just being you know a a quarterback in his second start playing against the Pac-12 team. Hey, Wyoming is one of only three or four teams in the country that has played twice. And coming out of week mm-hmm. one, Missouri fans were a little bit panicked. They gave up like six yards to New Mexico State and, <laughs> and won with ease. And then, you know, I, I know that they were up 19-16 on Washington State late in the third. They were in that game. The final score might be a little misleading, but it's still a 41-19 loss in the end. So, through two weeks, uh, the good and the bad, what have you learned about this team that, that maybe you didn't know coming out of camp? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the, I think the first week looked probably like what we expected, maybe even to a ridiculous extent. But, you know, the, the expectations were really high for this defense coming in, and they dominated New Mexico State in that first game. And, I mean, New Mexico State had a new quarterback, but they had one of the, you know, more prolific passing offenses last year. Uh, just numbers wise and they weren't able to even get the ball off the, the d-line just completely took them out of the game you know wyoming didn't have to really do anything defensively on the back seven uh and yeah it, it was it was a massacre i mean i think they had 12 drives drives in the game uh, new mexico state did and eight of them were three and outs one was a safety one was a four and out one was a five and out i think and then one was their only touchdown against the the uh, second string so i mean it was it was almost like they you know pitched perfect game against them and then, you know, the following week, it was sort of the opposite. The the uh, the D-line wasn't really able to generate any pressure on Washington State uh, with just a four-man rush. And, you know, I think that probably was a little bit surprising, you know, at least to us and maybe to the team just considering the talent and experience they got on that D-line. Um, so then they had to switch it up a little bit, and it came back to bite them. Uh, you know, they started doing some more stuff to get pressure on the quarterback and they didn't get a sack all game. I, I mean, Wazoo is a team that gets the ball out pretty quick as is, but um, you know that that left some pressure on um, their, uh, especially one of their cornerbacks, um, C.J. Colden, who also happens to be from the St. Louis area. But he's you know a, a redshirt freshman, and uh, he got tested, and he kind of got picked on at the end of that game. Um, so you know, if if they can generate a, a pressure with the front four, they definitely would like to do that, and I think that's what they're going to be able to do all season long most likely unless something crazy happens but um you know whether or not they can do that against a power five team remains to be seen 
Brandon, uh, from what I read, it seemed like Craig Bull was, was pretty outspoken about being upset with his team's performance, uh, at least in the second half against Washington State. Uh, he said they, mm-hmm. they just didn't play very well. I think they had a lot of penalties. Uh, do you think that, that kind of the things that, that went wrong in that second half are things that they could correct, or do you think they were just a little overmatched? Yeah, I think it uh, definitely was a game where they shot themselves in the foot a lot more than uh, we're used to seeing it, it, under Craig Bull, at least, you know, since they've kind of turned the corner and started winning. Um, it, yeah, it was, it was bad. I think something like 13 penalties for, 100, for 109 yards, both of which are the, the worst in Bull's time here. And yeah, that's, that's just really, yeah, not been too characteristic of them. I mean, they do have a lot of freshmen on the offensive line. There were some false starts. There were probably a few penalties that maybe shouldn't have been, but you know, some personal fouls, stuff like that. Um, so, you, yeah, you kind of do wonder, you know, where that came from because this is a team with, uh, you know, a really large senior class that, you know, leadership shouldn't be the issue. And, you know, generally they play like a well-coached team. So certainly that didn't help. Um, you know, I I don't know, you know, if you just take away the penalties, if that means they would have won that game. I think there's a few more factors to it. But I do think, you know, if, if they um, ha- have that same sort of, performance in terms of you know making dumb errors in this game they're not going to have a shot so they need to clean that up but it did feel overall like uh, I was thinking back you know one of their more disappointing losses in a while you know they've had frustrating losses maybe here and there but you know last year they basically lost to three teams that nobody could blame them really for losing to which was Oregon Iowa and Boise State and then they lost two games without Josh Allen which was just sort of a a what if that they were right there to get that first power five win under bowl and uh yeah they they really didn't finish the way that they'd like to and uh that's that you know was pretty visible uh in, in coach bowl's frustration after the game talking with brandon foster from the casper star tribune and i i don't know brandon i look at this game and wyoming and and this is probably true of most of their games like they want to come in here and win like a 21-17 game, right? I mean, if, if this game mm-hmm. gets up to 30 points, I, I don't see any way Wyoming can can put up that kind of offense against Missouri, do you? No, I don't think, you know, I don't think this team is set up to win shootouts this year. Um, it just, you know, the the way that it's passing game is still pretty inexperienced. Um, you know, that's, it's kind of, this, you know, my thoughts towards this game, you know, um, it, I feel like it's tough to out-physical an SEC team when you're a Mountain West team. And that, and that's really, in general, the way they want to win. And it might bring them a whole lot of success this year by the time they get to conference play. But uh, it's, it's kind of a tough recipe to, you know, win on the road at an SEC team. I think you're almost better off if you're kind of like a, you know, a run-and-gun shootout team with no defense rather than the reverse. So, yeah, I think you're right. they got to keep it fairly low scoring or else they're going to they're gonna have some issues matching Drew Locke touchdown for touchdown. Um, but if they get their offense going the way they want to, um, you know, which I think they probably will need Evan in order to do, you know, it's the thing that eats, eats time off the clock. So, uh, you know, their hope is that it doesn't get to that. Brandon, you touched on this uh, a little bit earlier, but but what is kind of maybe the weakness of uh, of this Wyoming defense, if there is one? How, you know, how, if Missouri's going to put up points against them, how uh, how do they need to go about doing that? Yeah, I think it's, it's definitely uh, – situations where those cornerbacks get put on an island um really they returned pretty much everybody from a defense last year that uh led the nation in turnovers and also you know was top 10 in in uh points per game allowed and and yards per play allowed i believe so you know the the only people they didn't return were a nickelback but they moved one of their kind of three starting corners into that spot and then the other two corners 
both graduated. So really, those are the new spots. One of them is a guy who started two years ago, but just missed last year to a uh, injury. But the other one, like I mentioned, is that freshman. So, you know, those are the guys that are really unproven. Um, you know, even the guy who played two years ago, this wasn't nearly as good of a defense two years ago. So he's uh, he's looked good so far, but is still, you know, uh, more one of the more unproven guys. And I think you know, a lot of it starts with if the kind of the same as last week, if they're able to uh, prevent Wyoming from getting a good pass rush without having to blitz, um, then that's that's when, you know, the dominoes start to fall a little bit uh, for Wyoming. You know, they really kind of like to keep it simple under uh, Scotty Hazleton, their defensive coordinator, who's in his second year now. And uh, not that they can't, you know, mix it up a little bit, but I think doing so puts more pressure on those corners, which is something they'd like to avoid. I know this sounds incredibly simplistic because I think you can say this for most games, but I think it's especially true here. Like you said, Wyoming led the country in takeaways. Missouri's biggest problem last year was giving the ball away and committing penalties. Mm-hmm. They did neither of those in the in the first game. To me, if Wyoming is really going to have much of a chance in this game, they've got to be plus two or better. If they're not, I, I really don't see how this is this is in much doubt in the last ten minutes. Uh, you think that's fair? Yeah, I, I think that's probably fair. Um, you know, it's it, turnover luck is kind of a weird thing. It, it almost seemed like, you know, the regression to the mean or whatever the phrase is almost already started in, in that first game for Wyoming. You know, even as much as they dominated New Mexico State, they didn't get a turnover. Um, and in a sense, it was encouraging because, you know, it showed that they don't even need the turnovers to <clears throat> beat up on, on, you know, at least group of five teams. But, yeah, to, to get these kind of upsets, you're going to need uh, a little bit help in that area and you know they're, they're a defense that should be able to do that and you know it's just a matter of kind of getting the opportunities and taking advantage of it but uh yeah i think there's enough things going against wyoming you know having uh, a couple key injuries you know besides evans uh austin fort their tight end is still going to be out and he's probably maybe their most dynamic receiving threat uh even though he's at tight end um you know i think you know having a freshman quarterback being on the road playing back-to-back pack 12 games i i think that's probably fair to say that you know, they're going to need a couple turnovers uh, in order to pull off a, you know, big upset here on Saturday. Gabe kind of offered his uh, his key to the game there for Wyoming with the turnover margin. When, when I was looking at this matchup, uh, you know, the, the thing that kind of stood out to me is Missouri can't afford to uh, have a, real, a really slow start or something and let Wyoming maybe get a 10 nothing, 14 nothing lead and then just kind of sit on the ball. Uh, do you think, you know, that that's maybe something I guess Wyoming would be capable of if uh, – Missouri has just a really disastrous start and, and gives up a couple quick touchdowns that uh, that would be tough to make up against this team? Um, I think, you know, they'd, li- they'd like to do that, definitely. It kind of, you know, again, I think it really comes back to Nico Evans. Um, they do have, you know, two freshmen in the mix at running back who, you know, had some bright spots so far. But, you know, last year um, that was not something that they could do. You know, they led on the road at Boise in the second half, and, and they, you know, they weren't an offense that – was able to, you know, just eat the clock up, even with Josh Allen. You know, it's not something they did very well. Um, you know, they showed early on this year that that's something they can do. And, you know, it, I think it's, it's something they're capable of doing, but I wouldn't say that it's necessarily like when you play, you know, Air Force or one of the option teams or whatever, where when you get a touchdown behind or whatever, you're, you're basically screwed because you're not going to, you know, get the ball back. Uh, I, I don't know that it's quite to that extent, although they would like it to be, because this is also an offense that, can go three and out pretty pretty dang quick. So I think, you know, uh, Missouri should have, you know, even if they do fall behind, I don't know that it's a, a death knell for them. Well, Brandon, appreciate you taking the time, and uh, hopefully we get to see football on Saturday night and you don't just fly <laughs> in to watch the raindrops. 
Yeah, yeah, fingers crossed. I mean, I don't mind making a trip to eat Shakespeare's, but I'd like to see some football, too. <laughs> All <laughs> right, go. have a good one, Brandon. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Brandon Foster, Casper, Star Tribune. Um, I mean, like, I think the view from that side is the view from this side. Like, yeah, if everything goes right, Wyoming can win this game, but almost everything has to go right. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, I think like you said, they'd have to be up in the turnover margin, and it would take some – some pretty weird things happening, which who knows if we get crazy weather, like it, it's possible. But I just, yeah, like you said, I, I, I see Wyoming winning this game maybe once, twice out of 10. I think uh, Missouri shouldn't have too much trouble. Yeah. And it, it, look, it's going to be, a, it's a different game than last week. You can't just roll your helmet out and win, which mm-hmm. really I think Missouri could have done last week for the <laughs> most part. I, I, I think they could have played the, the fourth stringers and still yeah. probably pulled that one out. Yeah. I, I mean, you're going to see Drew Locke, I think, play probably at least three quarters. You're going to see Terry Beckner on the field for more than a third of the total snaps. You're going to see Larry Roundtree and Damari Crockett getting more than 11 carries each. Mm-hmm. But again, like, if they lose this game, forget about eight. Forget about the season you think maybe you can have. That all goes out the window if you get beat by Wyoming. Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of like an, an interesting little like progression of the season. You know, they, they get like basically a glorified scrimmage. Then the test gets a little tougher. Yep. Then it gets a lot tougher next week. So, like, maybe in that sense, it's it's good. I don't know how if, if coaches like that. I, I would think they probably do for us. It'd be kind of nice if we just went ahead and played, you know, someone interesting. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. It'll It'll tell us more than last week for sure. We will look around the SEC here in just a minute. Mitchell and I predict every SEC game on Saturday morning in our preview. But once again, a quick reminder, visit Mark Skid, a new underwear company founded by a Mizzou fan. MarkSkid.com, M-A-R-C-S-K-I-D.com. If you enter the promo code POWERMIZZOU at checkout, all lowercase, all one word, you will save 15% off your first order. $4 of that order is donated to a charity of your choice that you make at checkout to help people in underdeveloped parts of the world. Mark Skid, again, M-A-R-C-S-K-I-D.com. Make your mark on the world. Every week we try to hit one of the bigger games in the SEC because, believe it or not, things do actually happen outside Columbia, Missouri in college football. So this week that game is still in Columbia, just not Columbia, Missouri. Georgia visiting South Carolina, a matchup of ranked teams. We're going to talk to Chris Clark of Gamecock Central, covers South Carolina for Rivals.com. Chris, what's going on, man? Hey, appreciate you guys having me. Hope everything's well in the other Columbia. Yeah, appreciate you uh, taking some time. So, I mean, it, this is what I like about the SEC. Like, right off the bat, the top two teams in, in the Eastern Division going at it. And, uh, I, I mean, I guess, I don't know, must-win game for South Carolina if they want to have uh, have real title hopes, you think? Yeah, I think so, man. I, I really do. Um that's the sense you get, and you're right, wasting no time just diving right into it to sort of set the tone in the East. Um, you know, for South Carolina, look, I don't think winning this game guarantees the East by any means because they've still got some difficult games where you talk about either in the division, you got to go, you know, at Florida, you got to play Missouri at home, got to try to get the Kentucky monkey off your back and try to beat those guys on the road. Uh, then you got a you know a non you've got a, a non divisional rather game at Ole Miss. So uh, that said, this is one that they really need to win to to be able to continue to keep pace there because you feel like as strong as Georgia is going to be, 
with the way their schedule sets up as well. They've got some difficult games, sure, um, but it'll be tough to unseat Georgia if you're South Carolina if you don't win the head-to-head here. And This is going to be a, a really good opportunity, a really good chance for them getting Georgia at home, getting them early in the season, um, and having maybe some some things more in your favor than they have been in, in quite a while. Chris, what, what's the level of excitement for this game like right now? Is it you know kind of being billed uh, as a, you know a game that important uh, with SEC uh, East implications there in uh, in Columbia? Oh, no doubt. I mean, I, I think uh, when you, whether you're talking to people in South Carolina, you're talking to people in Georgia. There's a lot of anticipation with this game. There's a lot of national, certainly regional, but also some national talk about this game as well um uh, you know i've sensed a lot of national talk that people think this is a prime opportunity for south carolina to pull an upset but either way it's going to be a game that a lot of people are talking about it's going to be an outstanding environment with it being a 330 cbs game um you know georgia has not that this has anything to do with the way that the game will turn out this season uh, i don't really subscribe to those types of theories but it is interesting that you know the last Several times that these teams have played at Williams Bryce over the years, when both teams are ranked, you know South Carolina is undefeated in those matchups. South Carolina snuck into the top 25. Again, does that have any bearing on the game? No, uh, but it just goes to show that, you know, when when this game's in Columbia and both teams have been pretty good, South Carolina's pretty, you know, you normally acquitted themselves pretty well in this contest, and I think that's the expectation this weekend as well. Um, you know, I think the fan base is very excited about it. Um, it's probably going to be hot. People are going to be out, you know, for, for a while, tailgating before the game. I think it's going to be loud loud and boisterous. Um, and, and certainly it's a game that, that fans fans sense the opportunity, you know, from a recruiting standpoint, from a from an opportunity to get a statement win in the SEC East and, and really uh, start to compete there, how this fan base wants to. I think they sense those things. So there's a lot of excitement about it. For Missouri fans who haven't been to Williams, Bryce, tune into that game uh, on Saturday afternoon because I, I truly think it's it's the most underrated game day atmosphere in the SEC. It's a it's a really cool place to watch a game. I'm sure it'll be amped up for this one. Uh, Chris, I'm not going to pretend to know anything about Coastal Carolina and whether they're good, bad, or indifferent. I know they, they pushed Arkansas and probably should have beaten them a year ago. South Carolina had no problem. A game real similar to Missouri's first game. I think they won 49-15 or something like that. I mean, did you learn anything out of that game, or was it just, hey, they took care of business and did what they should? You know, the interesting thing is, Gabe, I think you actually can take some things away from that game. You have to be careful. You have to sort of, uh, you know, maybe put an asterisk by things, or, or you have to sort of temper the expectations based on what you saw. But I think you can take away some things. Look, Coastal, no, not a good football team. Um, you know, they, they've struggled. Last season was their first in FBS in the Sun Belt. They were picked last in the Sun Belt this season. They had a quarterback coming back who, um, you know, came into the last season completed less than 50% of his passes. They started four sophomore defensive linemen. Not a very good team, not a deep team, not, not very talented. So South Carolina should have taken care of business, but – I think the manner in which South Carolina did it, um, you know, I, th- I think that was there were some encouraging signs with that. For example, uh, no negative yardage rushing plays. Now, fans that watched this team the past couple seasons, they struggled to run the ball against a lot of teams. I mean, heck, they had a few negative ro- yardage rushing plays against Wofford last season, FCS team with a vastly undersized defensive front. 
Um, so they came out and gave – I know you and I are both excited about the new pro football focus grades. Pro yeah. football focus uh, graded South Carolina as the number one run-blocking team in the country last week over Alabama, Wisconsin. Now, again, keep in mind the opponent, but I think that, that is an encouraging sign. You know, they, they move Zach Bailey back inside the guard. I think they've upgraded at the center and guard positions across the board. The running backs are all healthy. The running backs have really competed in the preseason and all look pretty good. Um, the, the way that they're structuring the new offense with some RPOs, some, some more creativity in the run game, some easier passes, uh, some downfield shots, all those things I think really helped. And defensively, they were able to get a lot of guys in the game. You know, the first half they gave up, I think, less than 70 yards to Coastal, which was the least they'd given up since 2012 and a half. So, I mean, there were some encouraging signs. Uh, they took care of business as as you would have expected, but I think the way in which they did it uh, gave people some hope that, yeah, you know, maybe this offense can put up some points against some better competition this season. Chris, I know, uh, <clears throat> you know one of those encouraging signs from the first week was uh, Jake Bentley had a, had a pretty efficient game, a passing uh, attack, which has some at times been a, a struggle for South Carolina, was was pretty crisp. Uh, I'm just wondering how, how big of a difference does uh, does it make for that offense when uh, when Debo Samuel is healthy and on the field? I know Missouri fans are certainly familiar with what what he can do, but just just after seeing him miss a lot of time last year and then be back out there Saturday, what what's the difference? Well, it's a huge difference. I mean, um, there are a lot of differences with this offense, things that are going to help them, whether it's being healthy. Uh, you know, Brian McClendon calling plays, Dan Werner's, uh, you know, handprints, fingerprints on this offense as well as some of the concepts he brought over from his time at Ole Miss as an offensive coordinator. The tempo that they'll play with. Didn't see that as much against Coastal. I imagine we'll see it more against some better defenses this season, including against Georgia. Um, all those things are helping. Um, but I think Debo is, is huge for this offense. I mean, you just look at what South Carolina did in the first couple games last season, you know, what he did against NC State, both as a receiver and as a returner, and same deal against Missouri. You guys are familiar with that. And then, you know, first touch against Kentucky, he takes one to the house and then goes down with that game in an injury with an injury, and they never really recovered from that in that game or that season offensively. So he's just a guy that, you know, he can score from anywhere on the field at any time. You know, every time he touches the ball on a kickoff, I think both. All right, so uh, Chris Clark back with us now. Uh, the beauties of modern technology uh, had to take a break for a few seconds, but now he's back, and uh, Debo Samuel's still good, right? <laughs> yeah, really good yeah. football player. Uh, yeah, I mean, can you know, can do a little bit of everything. I mean, uh, he can get vertical on you. He can, he can get into space. Um, they'll they'll get him the ball in a variety of different ways, whether it's as a runner, whether it's deep shots, getting him the ball in space and letting him operate yards after the catch. And, of course, on special teams, he can have a big impact as a returner. So they're a lot better with him on the field. Really opens up the rest of the offense when he's out there. All right, so my favorite thing that's ever been said about Georgia, and I think it still rings true, you want to play Georgia early in the season. I believe it was Steve Spurrier who said they'll always have someone suspended. I, I don't know if they do now, but look, if you're going to get Georgia, I think Missouri and South Carolina both like get them in the first half of the season, get them at home. If there's a time you've got to play this team, this is when you want to do it. You think that's enough on Saturday? Does South Carolina get this done? Yeah, I mean, that, that is true this year, not because of the suspensions, but just because they do have some youth up there. You know, I mean, they've, 
they lost what they walk walk like thirty seniors last year. I mean, guys. it was a lot of guys, and 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 then some underclassmen like Roquan Smith's one of the best players in the country. They lost him too. So we know they've recruited well. I mean, they're still loaded. You look at their third string and it's you know some five star, four star guys, mm-hmm. but they're still inexperienced, and so I think that makes it intriguing. Um, I think this is going to be a close fourth quarter ball game, um, but. I, I think South Carolina has the horses to get it done. I don't, I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me if this game, I mean, it could go either way, and I would not be surprised. I think it's going to come down to one or two really key plays. I think South Carolina, their concern would be their depth holding up, stopping Georgia's offense. I think they feel a lot better about their capacity to score points this season, put up some points offensively against the Georgia defense. Uh, just because of their schematics, because of the guys they got back. I mean, they didn't have Rico Dowdle or or uh, Debo Samuel last season in that game, and I think that really hurt them. And they're better up front this season, and the offense as a whole is better. So they certainly have a chance, especially with it being early, especially with it being at home. I'm uh, I'm glad you brought up the uh, your your prediction that it might come come down to uh, just one or two possessions because when I was looking at the line for this game, I was really surprised that uh, Georgia's a 10-point favorite. I thought that was huge for an early season road game, losing as much as they had. Uh, obviously, I know you know you have nothing to do with, with making the lines or anything like that, but w- why do you think maybe Vegas put so much uh, gave Georgia so many points? Do you think it's just, uh, you know, they they were obviously almost national champions last year that not taking account for the off-season losses or any ideas there? Yeah, and I and I don't know the intricacies of, you know, I know sometimes those lines get adjusted based on, I guess, what, what people are putting down and, and things like that. But, uh, no, I mean, look, I mean, there, there's a lot of reasons to still really like Georgia's football team. I mean, they, they're better, I would argue, at receiver than they were last season. They've still got a huge offensive line. I mean, they lost, you know, first-round pick in Isaiah Wood, but they got a huge offensive line. Jake Fromm is a very good, probably still underrated, quarterback now they can bring in Justin Fields as a changeup and they still have a load of talent defensively and a very good staff so I think there's a lot of reasons to to like Georgia still I'm with you I mean I was a little bit surprised at 10 points um, simply because the the games between these teams are traditionally pretty close there have been some outliers you know the past several seasons as South Carolina stumbled as a program Uh, but if, if I'm picking the game you know, I make it closer than that. Even if you still give the Georgia the advantage, I go more like, you know, four to, to seven points, something like that. All right, Chris. Well, we'll be watching on Saturday. Uh, appreciate it, and we'll catch up with you down the road. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me. Thanks, Chris. All right, Chris Clark, GamecockCentral.com, uh, the rival site for South Carolina. Um, I don't know, man. I, this one – like, this is the game Mark Richt always lost at Georgia. Mm-hmm. Not South Carolina, but the one where you go into it and go, Georgia's a better team, but the other team is, is good. They could. This is the one that kind of gets you over the hump is the one that Mark Richt always lost. So, I guess this is the game Kirby Smart's there to win. Yeah. I, I mean, and I'm very curious to see, you know, what what both of these teams kind of look like against a real opponent. Uh, you know, right. obviously, we talked about South Carolina beating the mighty Chanticleers of Coastal Carolina and Georgia played, I think, Austin P. So, like, yes. there's still a lot of questions, especially for Georgia. Like we said, they lost a ton, especially on defense. I'm curious how they'll use Justin Fields in an actual game. But um, so, so really, I mean, there's like I could see this going going a lot of different ways. You know, there's a lot of question marks on both teams. But like I said, I was kind of stunned when I saw that the spread was 10 points for you know a road game in that environment. It's going to be crazy. So yeah. I was surprised tell, by that. Tell me if this makes sense. I'm surprised the line is 10. 
but I will probably pick Georgia by 10. I mean, I mean that I I know what what you're saying. Although I, I I don't think I'll pick Georgia, but I I could see I could definitely see a scenario that Georgia wins by you know two touchdowns or something like that. But uh, I I uh, I was surprised. Georgia to me, I mean they just bleed talent. Yeah, they've got talent all over. South Carolina is the team that at the end of last year you go they were nine and three, but I don't quite know how they were nine and three. <laughs> yeah, that's like, true. They're a good it, the sum is. The, the hole was greater than the sum of the parts mm-hmm. for South Carolina, mm-hmm. whereas at Georgia, the sum is just the parts. I right. mean, the parts are that good, and I tend to side with talent. But, hey, look, hey, this is, I've said it a number of times. This is what the SEC does better than anybody else. You know, week two, you've got Georgia, South Carolina. You've got Kentucky, Florida. You've got these games that immediately grab everybody's attention while Oklahoma is like, – I mean, Oklahoma, UCLA, it looks better on paper than yeah. it is. but. Yeah. You know, uh, Ohio State, their big conference game is Rutgers this week. <laughs> I mean, you know, they're giving you compelling games early in the season to hook people in in week two. Now, the third week in November when everybody's playing the Citadel is right, a little right. less compelling. But uh, that, that's the big one in the SEC. I honestly, I haven't looked around college football enough to know if there are other big games going on. I know uh, Clemson's playing Texas A&M. That's that should right. be interesting. Um, you know, uh, Jimbo Fisher gets uh, gets Dabo Sweeney again, but at a new school, new plates in uh, at A and M. That could be interesting. I, I don't, I don't think Clemson will have much trouble with them. Sure. But I also, I mean, I have not watched either team this season. I don't think either team has played a real opponent yet. So we'll see. Yeah, I uh, we'll kind of wrap it up with this. I mean, week one impressions. My, we are one week into a fifteen week season. And I would be shocked if you can find anybody that says the national title game is going to be anything other than Alabama versus Clemson. Yeah. I mean, certainly those two teams are, you know, easily the favorites. I guess it's possible you get into a playoff and then anything happens. I could see, you know, maybe maybe Clemson loses a game or something like that. Al- Alabama looks indestructible. I mean, it's only I mean, one it's game. It's not, I'm not fair to give Nick Saban a real yeah, Yeah, like I, I, I don't like typically when people overreact, but I've, I'm I'm – going to do it right here and say that this looks like potentially the best team he's ever had it's ridiculous yeah. um until so. next year then they'll probably be better yeah but uh yeah no, those those two teams definitely look like the the class right now uh we'll see i i truly didn't watch a ton of football we were you know yeah. we were with the three o'clock kick we were pretty much at uh furrow field all day but yeah i'm excited to uh excited to see how uh how those first couple sec real sec games uh shake out we'll finish it up with this best week one worst week one for me best week one was lsu mm-hmm. i mean there were people saying this might be a train wreck ed orgeron fired midseason and look i don't think miami is legitimately the number eight team in the country but they are not nearly as bad as lsu made them look yeah no yeah absolutely uh I've, i'm trying to think who in mind I was unprepared for this. Virginia right. Tech yeah. looked really good. They did. I, I, I also, again, I watched three games. So I, I yeah. but the teams I watched were yeah, LSU, Virginia Tech, and Missouri. Those were yeah. are basically my three to choose from. So I'll, in, in, uh, in the interest of being different than you, I will say Virginia Tech looked really good. Florida State also looked horrible. Yes. So they might go. I'll go ahead and say they're my worst because, again, only watched yeah. six teams play football. No, they, I can't they, pick Tennessee Martin. They were my pick for worst week one, too, because, like, yeah, I mean, Texas got beat, but Texas looked like they had a pulse. Yeah. Michigan got beat, but they played a, a good team. Florida State was just inept. Yeah. Like, it's almost like they were 7-6 and six last year and beat nobody good and hired a coach who's never really won anything <laughs> in his career right. to replace Jimbo Fisher. I mean, 
all of those things happened, and yet they were ranked 19th in the preseason. Yep. Honorable mention for worst performance just for our listeners to uh, to Kansas for losing to Nichols State. But you know what? The craziest thing about that game to me is that it didn't really surprise anybody. Yeah. No, that's I mean, true. It, I, if you would have told somebody, okay, here, these five things are going to happen. Like, Texas is going to lose to Maryland. Michigan's going to score one touchdown against Notre Dame. Florida State's going to look like a Division three school. Alabama's going to look like the greatest team in the country. And Nickel State's going to beat Kansas. Which one's the biggest surprise? I, Nickel State might not be fifth, but it's not first. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, the, the, there's really not much of a talent disparity between those two teams right now. I mean, really, just the, the, the thing is, is like I, I certainly can't remember ever seeing a, a Power 5 team this down, this bad. But uh, It is... All yeah. I can remember, and you won't remember this because you've never known Bill Snyder not being at Kansas State. But, I assume he has been forever. <laughs> right. Well, I kind of feel that, and will be forever. But pre-Bill Snyder, Kansas State was the worst program in Division One history. Like, legitimately, I'm not, by the winning percentage, it was the worst ever. And I think Kansas might be that bad. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's – that's – uh. It's tough. I know that Missouri fans don't mind seeing it, but yeah, it, Missouri is fans do not really, think it's it is really pretty sad right now. Yeah, well, I mean, if you were in a, a place, so namely the Kansas City metro area where you get 38 the spot, you mm-hmm. could have seen that game on television. Wow. Otherwise, nobody saw it. That's remarkable. I mean, no one needed to in, see it. But. I mean, in this day and age, for whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, way to go, Big 12. Keep it up. Um, with that, Missouri-Wyoming at 6 o'clock. Thanks to Brandon Foster from the Casper Star Tribune. Chris Clark from Gamecock Central. And once again, our sponsor for the podcast, Mark Skid. M-A-R-C-S-K-I-D.com. Enter the promo code POWERMAZU, all lowercase, all one word. Get 15% off your order. Get new underwear and do good things for the world. That's like three really good things. Save money, do good things for the world, new underwear. You need all those things before next Thursday. So uh, do that. We will be talking about potentially 2-0 Missouri going to West Lafayette, uh, if all things go well this week, Mitchell, the season starts next Saturday. And we'll be talking about your review of your underwear, hopefully. We will, yes. <laughs> also, uh, new underwear for Gabe on next week's PowerMazoo.com <laughs> podcast. So thanks for listening.